in Arke en Halogos. Hello and welcome to the Western Traditions Podcast. This is the first episode of the ninth series called the Western Traditions Project. Now, if you've been following along since the beginning, you might be a little surprised by the appearance of this episode. Right now, it is December 22nd, 2023, and we are in the middle of just the second series of the podcast about ancient Greek history. But I've always been planning to interject some episodes out of order, especially as sorts of meta-episodes, because my podcast has always been so relentlessly chronological from the beginning. Yet I've always felt the desire to get some modern perspective on certain time periods, but at the same time, I didn't want to tarnish the contextual purity of any given episode. So I thought about doing it at the end of each series, like I was going to put a 26th episode at the end of the first series, which has 25 episodes, and in that episode I was going to make some corrections perhaps, address the story arc of the whole thing, and basically get a maybe a modern look back at it all, but... Then I thought about putting some of these things in the 8th series, which is really supposed to be about the contemporary period. Uh, But now I've decided that the 8th series will stick exclusively to addressing the contemporary period and do it in chronological fashion. It'll either begin in 1991 with the fall of the Soviet Union or with the World Trade Center attack in 2001. But anyway, this series, the ninth, is really going to be about the future, but it's also about the past and about issues that have not only recently appeared in society, but those that that have continued to confront us since the very beginning. These are issues that are spiritual, technological, moral, and so on. In other words, I want to use this space to address issues that are perennial in the West and in human life in general. Furthermore, I wanted to take the opportunity, in this episode anyway, to discuss not just the historical past, but also the history of this podcast, how I came to develop it, and where I want it to go. So, in some way, this will be the quote-unquote about-me episode of the entire podcast. Now, before I move on to the next segment, I do want to remind you to support the podcast, uh, like, share, comment, subscribe, contribute wherever you can. Please go to the website at western-traditions.org. You can find some recommended reads there, and you can see some good maps and some helpful pictures, uh, and also you can find a catalog, of course, of all of the episodes. In the beginning, I imagined this podcast as a school. A long time ago, you see, I was a school teacher. I taught at various levels, from 4th to the 11th grade, in public and private and charter schools. I actually have a degree in English from the University of Arizona, but I only ended up teaching high school English for about a year before I finally left teaching, after about 13 years total. Probably my favorite part of it all was being a Montessori teacher. I taught uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th graders in Montessori classrooms, and um, I also did a little bit of middle school Montessori. And those are great years to teach kids. It's a wonderful time to really sort of see their minds expand. I, anyone has a chance to engage in that teaching, I, I, I strongly recommend it. It's a, it's a wonderful time period in a child's life. I also enjoyed the opportunity of homeschooling two of my younger boys for a year apiece. Now, early on in my career as a teacher, I became interested in the great books of the Western world. 
and like most everyone my age, I had a smattering of the great books in high school and in college some more. And when I went to college anyway, we read the Canterbury Tales in the original Middle English. There was no translation in the text, and there was no internet back then to consult for help. In fact, part of the grade of the class required students to stand and read a random page aloud in Middle English and be judged for our pronunciation and fluency in that dead language. Wanat apro with his sota. Later in life, during lunch breaks as a teacher and administrator in a Montessori school in Sedona, Arizona, where I taught those 4th, 5th, and 6th graders, I would often walk over to the public library, which was just next door. Now, one day, the library had a book sale going on. Browsing the stacks of books for sale, I discovered the Britannica edition of the Great Books of the Western World, a series of 54 volumes from Homer and Herodotus all the way to the 20th century and Sigmund Freud. So I grabbed uh, the copies of Homer and Plato, I think, for $2 each. I, I couldn't resist buying them, even though I was very poor and I had kids. And I was, as a teacher, I was the primary breadwinner in the family. And if anyone's listening, I don't recommend that economic plan for you if you're going to be the teacher and the primary breadwinner in the family. But anyway, I got to the register and I found out that the books were only $1. In fact, the entire collection of great books had been marked down. It was the last day of the book sale. I could buy all of the books in the collection for $1. So I ended up spending $40. Uh, some of the volumes were missing. Someone had already grabbed the Shakespeare and so on. I actually had to keep the expenditure somewhat secret from my wife because we were so poor. $40 was a huge expense. I, I hid the books in the trunk of my car, and then I started slowly infiltrating them into my home library. But anyway, eventually, after that infiltration, I, I found myself surrounded by the great books, and I began imagining a school based primarily around their content. Now, this is not an original idea. There's uh, many, many homeschool curriculums and lots of private schools that base their uh, teaching around the great books. There are probably fewer and fewer as time goes by because it's become more and more controversial, but these curriculums anyway were not an original idea of mine. And through that, I discovered the homeschool world, and I read about it, and yes, eventually I got the opportunity to homeschool my own children briefly anyway. Now, I originally imagined the content of this podcast, when I first thought of it, it was going to be the core of a curriculum. It was going to be a, a strong spine for education from kindergarten on up, and to this spine, you could attach the bones of math and science and foreign language and literature and all the other areas of instruction, but it would all be driven by this march through history. Now, I worked on this curriculum in my spare time, almost shamefully, because it led nowhere, like my fiction and poetry writing. It wasn't something that was going to earn bread for my family. Yet, sometimes I would devote precious hours to it, late night and early mornings, getting up at 4 a.m. to plan the curriculum. Why did it appeal to me? Maybe I was fascinated by the patterns, by the structure the material seemed to form. It seemed to arrange itself into successive periods, and those periods seemed to develop in understandable ways. In the same way, perhaps, years earlier, I had become extremely fascinated by the liturgy of the Catholic Church. And, and if you're not Catholic, and actually even if you are, you may not be aware that there is a something called the Divine Office, and it is a, a schedule of prayers and scripture readings and periods of contemplation and meditation for basically every hour of every day of the entire year. Uh, so you can you can continue this cycle of of, of prayer and reading and learning and contemplation uh, throughout the year. And I, I thought of the curriculum in the same way. I wanted it to be this ever-turning wheel of content. 
and at every turn there'd be a new piece of literature, a new concept in math, a new scientific discovery to study, and so on. Imagining it, I, I wanted the proposed curriculum, just like the divine office, to be self-sustaining. It doesn't need, it wouldn't need me, it wouldn't need a teacher. It could survive without the teacher, just like anyone can pick up the church's divine office and read through it and, and, and pray it and so on. The curriculum would be something that anybody could use, whether it was a mother teaching her children at home or a grown man working a job and just trying to educate himself. I don't know. Maybe this was all a reaction to a midlife crisis as well. There's a lot of possibilities. But now that I think about it more, I'm wondering if it wasn't really the accelerating change of the world around me that was causing me to embrace this curriculum. And there'll be more about that topic in a moment. Finally, one day, what I realized was that maybe I didn't want to be a teacher of this curriculum. Maybe what I wanted was to be a student of the curriculum. Maybe, I thought, maybe I want the curriculum to save me. Maybe the curriculum had become my religion. It would become my own divine office that would sustain me through the days of my life. Over time, though, the teacher in me realized that I simultaneously wanted all this subject matter to possess... I wanted it to possess a certain, a definite structural integrity, but I also did not want it to be too regimented, too definite, too locked in place. You see, over time... In my teaching career, I had come to see school, as we know it in the West anyway, I had come to see school as little more than prolonged, low-intensity child abuse. And I saw myself, when I was a teacher, I saw myself as little more than a prison guard. And again, that's another episode that I will get into in the future with this ninth series. But no, I didn't want the curriculum to strangle someone. I didn't want it to stifle anything in a human being. I recognized early on that I wanted a student of this curriculum, child or adult, to be able to take what they wanted or needed from the curriculum, to turn the wheel at their own speed and in their own direction. And then somewhere around 28 or 2018 or 2019, I was working nights as an RN in an emergency room. I had left off teaching years before that. And one of the doctors I was working with recommended a podcast to me. I had never listened to podcasts before. I didn't even know how to access them on my phone. And it turned out that it was the, the History of English podcast by Kevin Stroud. And I, I can't praise that podcast enough. It's really fantastic for lovers of the English language and also for, for, for history lovers. And in fact, to this day, it's the only other podcast that I listen to. Um, in 2020, a friend of mine uh, encouraged me to listen to some other podcasts, mostly about history, and I, and I did listen to them, but I wasn't very interested. Uh, I realized also while I was listening to them that, uh, hey, I, I could do better than that, especially with regard to the quality of the uh, instruction, the way it was presented. A lot of the history podcasts seem to sort of play around with the what I consider the substance of history and to inject too much of modern perspective or to put too much subjective thought into, into the matter. So I decided to see if I could do this, even though my technological know-how was pretty limited. So I took the core of that curriculum I'd been working on, the historical core, and I began crafting it into the Western Traditions podcast. However... A few episodes in, I began researching the hunter-gatherers and Stone Age episodes of the first series, and I began to realize something that nearly put me off the podcast entirely. 
I realized that civilization is a disease. You see, I had read Civilized to Death, a book by Christopher Ryan, and while I may not agree with the author on any number of things, and I'm probably not politically aligned with him, I was struck by the apparent veracity of his thesis that the civilization that we all seem to praise really just serves to strip us of our humanity rather than elevate us in any way. And that is another podcast that I will produce in this ninth series about studying that idea that the transition from the hunter-gatherer stage to the agricultural stage was really a tragedy. Anyway, though, even though I was burdened by this unsettling idea that the civilization which I had set out to praise was really a symptom of the decline of our species and not a trait of the progress of our species, Nevertheless, I forged on, I did more reading, and then I despaired some more when I began to look forward to modern episodes about technology and artificial intelligence. Why continue the podcast, I thought, when it is obvious that we will soon be outperformed at every level by AI. This is all the more true with the technological singularity potentially on the horizon, and if you don't know what the singularity is, be patient, there will be an episode on it in this new series. Real despair threatened to set in at that point. What was the point of trying to excel, of trying to do anything? Civilization had been a bad idea to begin with, and now our own technology was going to rob our lives of whatever meager purpose a person might imagine for him or herself. And so it was then that I realized that the Western Traditions podcast had become, had to become, for me, the Western Traditions Project. And so now let's talk about the future. This ninth series is, after all, going to be about the future. But if you follow current events like I do, you may wonder if there's going to be a future, especially given the most recent developments in artificial intelligence. At this present date, December 22nd, 2023, ChatGPT is just a little over a year old and the AI race is well underway, for better or for worse. And the greatest dilemma that many people right now, or soon, may be trying to figure out is what they'll do in a world in which their old job has been taken by a computer. But it's not just the loss of jobs that threaten us. I'm sure plenty of us would be happy for our jobs to, to disappear if we had some other source of income. But you see, it's worse than that. It's worse than just finding a way to earn money and survive. Even if some universal basic income provides for your physical needs, and yes, universal basic income is a future episode, I think it's apparent to most of us that what most humans need, it's more than just food and shelter. We need more than that to truly thrive in this world. We need meaning. We need purpose. We long for these things. Many of us find meaning in the activities with which we fill our non-working hours. We read, we play sports, we hike, we play video games, we sculpt, we paint, we write poetry. Unfortunately, unable to find any outlet for this desire, some of us just numb ourselves with television or alcohol or drugs or any other addiction. But consider that computers may also soon be better than us at a lot of these things that we love to do. Computers may be able to write better, paint better, speak better, sing better, make love better, raise children better. Robots may even play sports better than all of us someday. They may even do a better job at this podcast, for instance. Will you or I, wherever our passions may lie, will we be, will we be able to find a reason to get out of bed in such a world? What becomes the purpose of your existence? Now, 
Every time there has been a crisis like this in the past, people have adapted and found new ways to survive, especially with regard to their jobs. In many cases, they became the overseers of the new technology. For instance, people still work in car factories today, even though robots have taken over many of the old jobs. It's just that there are fewer people working in new and different jobs. In the episode on the technological singularity, I'll get into this concept more in depth, but the capacity to adapt to the coming changes in the workplace is is more than what I'm getting at here. For the, for the moment, I, I want to address the utility of this podcast for me, anyway, in reconciling myself with whatever comes, be it dystopia or utopia. And I'd like to begin by looking at the game of chess. Now, that might seem like an odd seg- segue, but bear with me. Now, computer programs today can defeat the best chess players in the world. They don't even have to be big computers anymore. A few decades ago, it took Deep Blue, a state-of-the-art huge computer, to play a grandmaster to a draw. But today, any app on your phone can beat the best chess player in the world. Today, great chess masters, grandmasters like uh, Magnus Carlsen, Hikaru Nakamura, or Fabiano Caruana, these players and all others already use what they refer to as the engine. And this is just any computer chess program to check their work, to get ideas. But they cannot beat a computer. They can't beat that engine. The best they can do in any situation is play to a draw. And these chess programs are available anywhere for free. They are apps on your phone, and you cannot beat them, nor can the greatest chess minds alive, unless you use programs that are specifically dumbed down to help players learn certain strategies. And from my own experience, I can tell you it is dreadfully depressing to play against such a program and just watch it make a stupid mistake so that you have a chance of winning. So we all know then that computers can win any game of chess, even against the best in the world. And this is not a new phenomenon. It's not something that's just breaking upon us. It's, it's, it became real decades ago. But we still play chess. And people make money teaching chess. And they even compete for large prizes at international chess matches, even though human performance in this realm was long ago eclipsed by computers. On any, on any given day myself, I'm somewhere between an 1100 and a 1200 ranking. And if you know anything about this chess, then you know that's a pretty amateur level. Yet, I still play. I'm not daunted by the fact that I will never beat a computer at this game. Heck, I can barely beat my own kid. But some people still devote their entire lives just studying this game. They have YouTube channels about their games and their strategies. They make a living off of it. This is perhaps right there a good example of the possibilities for post-AI life, for the rest of us, really. This has not left chess players adrift in the world. They're, They're not lost and without purpose because of computers. We all still enjoy playing the game. So what can the rest of us do? If computers are going to outperform us at our given professions and even at our pastimes, and let's be clear here, even if the timeline is off, even if it's not happening tomorrow, does anyone doubt that AI will surpass us in most human endeavors in 10 years or in 20? Does even the biggest naysayer and doubter of artificial intelligence think that it will take 50 years for AI to accomplish what I'm talking about? We all know this is coming, whether it's next year or 30 years from now is really inconsequential, especially for those of us that worry about our children. Yes, your job and your supposed purpose in life may be safe for the next 10 or 20 years, but not forever. You know this. We all know this. History is, in some sense, really coming to an end this time. This time, the robots really are coming. It's not just a science fiction theme anymore. So should we despair? 
What are our options as, as I unravel human history in my humble podcast and meanwhile artificially intelligent computer programs are managing weapon systems in a war and writing internet content and driving cars and analyzing patients and doing so much more, what shall we do with ourselves? How shall we find purpose and meaning as the sun sets on civilization as we have known it for so long? Maybe the chess players have already shown the way. We can just keep trying to be the best human that we can be at anything. Maybe we should just let technology complete its story arc. Let technology remove the drudgery of life, just like it has done for centuries, for millennia, really. With the help of artificial intelligence, maybe we can escape the anesthesia of work, which, let's face it, is just a drug for many of us. We've been trained to look down on people who lose themselves in drug addiction and alcoholism and gambling and sex, while the rest of us, we anesthetize ourselves with work or devotion to school or to our families or to our religions. These are all just socially acceptable ways to numb ourselves to the apparent meaninglessness of life. Maybe it's time we stop kidding ourselves that there is value in a man devoting decades of his precious one and only life to work tirelessly for some organization that is just using him and would cast him aside at the first sign of illness or other debility. Let's just accept that this devotion to most of our jobs, maybe not all, but most of them, maybe this devotion or work ethic is just another drug, a drug that has been deemed acceptable by our corporate masters, while those drugs that alleviate our suffering have been condemned. Maybe in this new atmosphere, this new world of artificial intelligence, freed from the need to labor for someone else's benefit, we will each be able to seek excellence of both mind and of body. I don't know how likely yet any of this is, but the Western Traditions Project, for me anyway, is part of the journey to this excellence, a step on the way to sustaining meaning in the face of so many changes. First, I want to nourish my intellect with the incredible history of the Western world. And how will I accomplish the nourishment of my intellect? Well, I, I do so in reading the great books and in researching them and writing about them in my episodes. Because if I'm going to seek the excellence of mind and body that I've proposed, if the branches of my tree are going to reach into the sky, I want to have strong roots. And I want to understand those roots. I want to know where I have come from as much as I want to know where I'm going. Beyond that, if time, providence, and technology allow and AI does not destroy us all, I will get into other ways to carry out the Western Traditions Project. Now, if you've already got it all figured out, if you already know your path in life and have reconciled yourself to the dilemmas of the modern world, you don't need to listen to episodes like this. But if you also, like me and like others I know, if you're looking, if you are seeking some solutions, seeking to make sense of the world around us, even as it changes at an exponentially increasing rate, then I hope this podcast and this project can help you. I hope that the episodes, all of them, from the very first episode about the ancient world until the, I make the last episode about the contemporary period some 10 or 15 years from now, God willing, I hope that the Western Traditions podcast can form a framework for you to study, something for you to grab hold of, something you can climb up. Or maybe it's something that you can break into pieces so that you can look at its guts. And maybe you'll put it back together in some other shape. Some future episodes in the ninth series will include the following subjects. The technological singularity, human life after the last glacial maximum, ancient cataclysms, 
gender and sexuality in the Western world, UFOs and aliens, the impact of Christianity on Western civilization, schooling, both public and private, the history of the work ethic, and I also plan on doing book reviews, and a lot more. They will not necessarily come out in any specific order, and I would welcome additions to the list as suggestions. You can leave them in the comments on my website. That's western-traditions.org. The episodes in this night series won't be issued as frequently as the other episodes. It might just come out two or three times a year. But until the next episode from whatever series appears then, I thank you for listening to the Western Traditions Podcast.